Are you on the audition track or teaching an excerpt class this year? Well, for me personally, when I left the university, I was basically on my own when it came to preparing excerpts and developing my routine. Maybe you don't have the luxury of weekly lessons with a coach anymore. Well, Vlatuti has you covered. Yes, at vlatuti.com, you can find a new and incredibly thorough resource for violists called Exploring Excerpts. It's a violist guide to building skills for orchestral playing. This is by former Rochester Philharmonic's principal violist, Melissa Matson, And based on her experience of teaching excerpt class at the Eastman School of Music and listening, of course, to countless professional auditions, Melissa has created etudes and exercises to help you work through tricky passages in new and creative ways. And before Melissa's book was released, I actually was fortunate enough to get a sneak peek of Beethoven 5. And it is truly amazing. One of the most fun parts, I think, is that you can enlist your friends who maybe are also auditioning and you can each play parts and trade them off. Oh, perfect for excerpt class. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? And if you're not a violist, you can find Ralph Schiano's book, Behind the Screen, which is a detailed look at the winning strategies behind his path to becoming the principal clarinet of the Detroit Symphony. While there may not be a magical formula for audition prep that works for everyone, this book will give you ideas to help you approach your preparation with structure and creativity. It's a must-have resource for any aspiring orchestral musician. Yeah, I think we can all agree that auditioning is... It's truly hit or miss, but nothing beats the confidence that comes from feeling prepared. Grab some of these resources to support your audition journey from flatutti.com, B-L-A-T-U-T-T-I.com. You guys, I have this planner I've been using for the last couple of years. I should show Paige. Okay. Oh, wait. So, actually, hold on. I have from last year. Okay. So show us. And if people <laughs> want to see this and they want to see what I'm doing with my pod closet, you can join our Patreon because we're going to put this up <laughs> as a video. Yes, that's right. But what? show me. Okay. So first, this is like the goal page. Okay. Okay. Which, again, these are just... I have no idea what to write on these pages, but a goal is a dream. So I wrote on that. And then there's a monthly page. And then there's these pages, which even in 2022, most of them were blank because I don't know what to write on them. How do I show this? Okay. Oh, okay. It's just empty prompts. So they're like a series of squares on a piece of paper. Yeah. The- this one says July. And there's one that's like a checklist, but there's different, they're not labeled. You can do whatever you want with this. It's just free reign to write whatever you want, which for me is a nightmare. It's overwhelming. I stress so much about it because I'm like, what should I put here? (laughs) And you, so Liz sent me this video of this woman. So on YouTube, you can find just about anything. But she sent me this video of this woman who was showing you how to use one of these planners. And the steps that she was going through, I mean, she was pulling out stickers. Mm-hmm. She was had different markers. She was ready to scrapbook this planner. <laughs> and I'm like, you need to have space in your planner to plan, to plan your planner. <laughs> if you're doing this this way, these people have way too much time on their hands. I was looking for videos all over the place to just tell me what to do with this page. I'm like, what does... Yeah. I forget what they call it in Aaron Condren world, but I was just Googling like, what is this page for? (laughs) And 
Anthony's video I sent you was actually better than the one I saw before, which was also all about scrapbooking. And they're going through these women. I bless their hearts. Listen, they're bless beautiful. Their <laughs> beautiful looking planners. Don't get me wrong. They do. They look like museum pieces. And yeah. I would be proud to show anyone my planners that look like that. <laughs> The one I sent you was like, I'm decorating for fall because it's September. And so her yes. September calendar and all these so leaves I have all and my leaf stickers. And she was like whiting out the color scheme on the existing planner so it would match her color scheme for the fall. And I had one that I was watching that was like 4th of July. And she had all these 4th of July themed things on her monthly planner. And oh, and this sticker book I got from X, Y, and Z. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, who has time? Who has time? <laughs> who has time to do this? Oh, yes. Just made me feel worse about myself. I was like, this... Oh, no. They should be the ones that are feeling bad about themselves for spending that much time on a planner. What could you be doing? You could be crossing off so many things on your little to-do list instead of scrapbooking your planner. (laughs) This seems like the most inefficient use of your time. Yep. Super organized gal. Yeah, so not only did they not answer my questions, they also shamed me because I was like, oh, I'm literally not making good use of this planner. It should also be artwork. Like, no one told me. <sighs> so anyway, Stephanie's going to help me figure out what I should put on those pages. We can, we can brainstorm it. Welcome to the Viola-Centric Podcast. We are two curious violists finding inspiration through authentic and challenging conversations in the professional music world. I'm Liz. And I'm Steph. Let's jump in the deep end. So I'm starting the year with a 100-day practice challenge with my studio. Okay. We're going to have incentives along the way, and at the end of the 100 day challenge we're gonna have a recital and i'm going to play too and i'm gonna hold myself accountable i figure it's a good way for me to try to establish this new approach to having a practice routine in my life which comes with hopefully lots of goodies like the new looping station i got for christmas yeah i can't wait to see what you do with that i'm excited very excited i feel it's the right amount of nervous because i have no idea what to do with it it's literally sitting right here i'm looking at it and i'm like well i need cables for it Mm -hmm. thank goodness we have our dpa mics now so i can i know that is a big piece of the puzzle yeah you're exploring a new facet of your artist yes and i really i feel like like i've been in the process of pulling together little facets of what a new practice regimen might look like for me that looks nothing like what our private teachers in school told us we needed to do. Mm -hmm. Very curious to see what effect that has. Yeah. Kind of exciting. New beginnings, new year. We're back. We're back. (laughs) We're back. And we're excited to present these next little batch of guests to you. We don't do resolutions, but Mm -mm. I do feel like the new year's a time for like refreshed kind of approaches. Do you feel like there's anything in the forefront of your mind that you want to be doing? No, there's not too much specifically. Obviously, we're working on the artist's way with our group, which is so so fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I have new awareness every single week that we do that. And it's just, I think my resolution is just to keep myself open to discovering and peeling back layers of uncovering what my true purpose as an artist is. Because I really, you know, as freelancers, 
If you don't feel like it's realistic for you to get an orchestral job, then an unending future of playing gigs can feel a little less than satisfying. And I love what I do. I love it. I love how it's different every week. I love that I have see different people at every gig. But I wonder if that's the highest level of fulfillment that I can achieve as a musician. And so I'm really trying to put my nose down and figure out what that will be for me. Yeah, I love that. I think it comes from that awareness. I think that's a byproduct of like, oh, you know, is there more? I think that question is pervasive in the idea of being an artist, a creative. Mm -hmm. And just asking the question, I think, creates energy that helps provide answers somewhere. You know, something along the way is going to click and it's going to be... I can't wait for it. I'm becoming more woo-woo by the day, I think. And <gasps> you it's just are? I am. Okay. Okay, <laughs> I am. But I really am feeling like manifesting is what I need to be doing. Yeah. Manifesting is a is a yeah, it's a complicated idea. I used to think it was willing something that I thought I needed. Mm, like a wish almost. Yes, making mm-hmm. a wish. But it's not, it's this idea. You're asking a question right now. You're just like, what's out there? What's next? Mm -hmm. Where do I want to go? And that creates the space for those ideas to come. And yeah, it's amazing how those things can show up (laughs) without any explanation. Synchronicity is a thing. Synchronicity is 100% a thing. So maybe that's 2023 is like leaning into the synchronicity. Just, yeah. I also, I wrote... In my planner, which, okay, so that was a big, funny sidetrack, but I wrote in the beginning page that's like a goal is a dream or whatever. The first one I wrote was discovery. So it's like ties back to what you said that you're just leaning into like discovering things about yourself. I'm kind of in the same boat, which is not always easy work. No, no. Uh, Stephanie has heard me talk about it multiple times, but it's worth saying it on the podcast. I would highly recommend anybody who wants to watch it documentary called Stutz on Netflix. Mm, Yeah. Oh, it's so good. But some of the things they talk about in there, like working with the shadow side of yourself and some of the more, some of the more difficult places within you, your patterns of behavior and why those exist and things like that. That work can be very hard, but it's discovery. (laughs) It can only take you into good directions. So I like that we're discovering. Mm-hmm. We're on a we're on an exploratory mission in 2023 so far. <laughs> yeah. Well, it ties back to what we're doing here with the podcast too. Is that mm-hmm. we're not purporting to have all the answers to any, all these questions that we're asking, but we are curious and we're just want to gather as many perspectives as possible. So hopefully, with this year, we'll continue to bring you really good conversations with really amazing people. And this first one is is really a great start for this year. Oh my gosh. Yes. I needed her in my life. She's like your no-nonsense friend that you're like <laughs> having a crisis and Anna Marie comes and she sits you down and she's like, here's what you do need to do first. And here's what you need to do next. And she's so smart. She's done so much research She's really thought about all of these ideas about finance and how it relates to freelance musicians and what we can take from the literature that's out there and what we need to learn that's not in the literature that's available out there. 
And she's kind of coalesced it all for us. And she's giving us some of those juicy tidbits today. Yes. Money in the freelance world is hard. That's a challenging aspect of our business. But I think Anna Marie offers a perspective that suggests that it may be not as difficult as we are sort of programmed to believe it is based on the messaging that we receive, making the decision to be an artist as a career. There's a really interesting topic of conversation in that area that I thought was very enlightening and also a little empowering. I will admit I, I'm, I'm pretty terrible with finance. <laughs> I have, there's this thing out there that exists in the world. Maybe we'll find a screenshot of it somewhere or something called a wellness wheel. And you can do a sort of like self-assessment basically on where am I in the various parts of my life? And the categories are emotional well-being, social well-being, your intellectual well-being, and financial is one of them. <laughs> and if I fill out that wellness wheel, like lots and lots of colors everywhere. You basically color, shade in, answer different questions. Oh, so and you then... do scrapbook. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have set instructions. This is like color this one red, you know? <laughs> I could do that. If somebody told me what to do, I would do it. I just... <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but yeah, but the financial one is like empty, <laughs> almost on my wheel. And if I can embrace the idea that financial well-being is just one of those elements that help us to have whole well-being... That's a really great shift of perspective, at least for me. And I, I suspect for a lot of musicians, like we just have this idea that's like, money, I don't do this for the money. I, I'm just living paycheck to paycheck. It's fine. It's actually not fine. It is actually an energy that we create in our lives, whether or not it's healthy. Mm -hmm. What a great way to start a year by talking to her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's got it together. And so we ask her our burning questions about finances, mm -hmm. and hopefully they overlap with what your burning questions are. But the great news is, is that she is also available for further education or consulting if you need it. So we'll list all of her contact information in the episode notes. And stay tuned because I may or may not do her financial course. I'm debating oh, right, it. right, right. Okay. I'll let you guys know. I'll post updates here and there if I decide to do it because I nice. think it would be probably a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we could all use a little wellness check in the financial department. Yeah. So enjoy this episode with Anna Marie Diaz, the financial flutist. Being freelance musicians means gigging in lots of different places with very unpredictable lighting situations. Oh my gosh, yes. How many times have you shown up to a church gig and wondered if you'll actually be able to see the music by showtime? Many times. Or it's a cocktail hour in a restaurant with ambient mood lighting at best. <laughs> We've all been there and have used those alien looking bendy lights that only light up the top of the page so that by the bottom of the music, you're sometimes just guessing or maybe we'll call it being creative. We didn't know it at the time, but the Aria lights could have saved us lots of eye strain and unplanned improvisation. Yes, and with a rechargeable battery that lasts eight hours, you'll never have to carry backup double A's in your case. You'll just charge it up at home and take the Ari Light to your gig. The battery will even hold a charge for years between uses, not that you would go that long. Thank you so much to Ari Lights for their support this season. Please check them out at arialights.com. Located in a historic mansion in Tacoma Park, Maryland, 
you might get the impression that the team at Potter Violins are as formal as the breathtaking building that they work in. But when you go inside, instead you'll find the most relatable, skilled, and friendly staff. Yes, the people at Potter's are what really make it a special place. I love visiting because I know that whoever I work with is not going to make me feel like I'm crazy or just being picky. They're kind of like your favorite bartender. They're great listeners who give you what you need without judgment. (laughs) Yes, their technicians are not only super talented, creative, and resourceful, they take the time to collaborate with you so that the process of getting your instrument at its best really feels like a partnership. So if you're in the area, definitely stop by and introduce yourself to Chris, Rob, Kimberly, Derek, Jim, Melissa, and the whole team or visit potterviolins.com to find what you need online. It's so fitting then that their shop is in this beautiful old house because the staff at Potter's really makes it feel like home. Season three is sponsored by the Arcrest. You know, Liz and I are always being asked about our Arcrests, and we're happy to share how much we love them. The freedom of movement has been life-changing for me. Me too. And I love how using the Arcrest allows my instrument to vibrate fully. And depending on how my body's feeling, I can also change the placement of the bass. Although Aaron and Tigran started the company in their home workshop, they've come a long way, continuing to innovate by experimenting with harder and softer woods and even new materials like fiberglass. There are bases for violin, viola, and even for small fractional instruments. And there are foam pads of different thicknesses, so you can find one that fits your body or instrument perfectly. And the guys over at Arcrest are sharing a special discount code for our listeners. Use the code VIOLACENTRIC for 10% off anything on their site. Yes, check out their offerings at thearcrest.com. That's T-H-E-A-R-C-R-E-S-T.com. And don't forget to use the code VIOLACENTRIC. Today, we are joined in conversation by the financial flutist, Anna Marie Diaz. Anna Marie is a flutist, teacher, arts administrator, and money coach. Through her own journey to personal finance, she discovered that the resources available primarily catered to those with a standard, quote, nine to five career, making a lot of the subject matter somewhat unrelatable for freelance musicians. In the summer of 2021, she decided to become a personal finance counselor to learn everything she needed to know to become financially stable. Now she helps musicians navigate the financial ups and downs of our careers, providing coaching and courses to help us all on the right financial path. Welcome to the Viola-Centric Podcast, Anna-Marie. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you. Thrilled. (laughs) Totally. Can't wait to pick your brain. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) This is, uh, yeah, the first conversation we've had about money on our podcast, which in hindsight is kind of crazy considering it's a pretty significant contributor (laughs) to the challenges we face in our careers. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it is. (laughs) There are so many things we can cover today, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure we won't get to all of them. But we wanted to start off by referencing actually a really great topic that you covered in Mm -hmm. a blog article on your website, which is the starving artist mindset. Yeah. We both thought this was a fascinating perspective. And personally, in reading it and reflecting on it, I'm realizing that it's contributed to a lot of my own personal financial struggles. So I'm so ready for the help right now. (laughs) You shared that you also did hold this belief in the Mm -hmm. starving artist mindset. 
So our question to start off with you and just get your perspectives on this is, how did it affect the start of your career as a musician? And how did you evolve from a starving artist to one who is now in a position to provide all of this support for others in our journey for financial health? Yeah. If we're going to talk about the starving artist mindset and really how money fits into that, the bigger conversation there is talking about identities and how identities affect our money. So speaking specifically as a musician, right, we all have this identity as a musician. The layer right underneath it that I think a lot of us have is this identity as the starving artist. And we all know about the starving artist. We all know what it means. But I think for me personally, reflecting on my own path, I really started to cultivate the identity of the starving artist when I was in school. Being told how difficult this career field is and how difficult it is to make money. And not that any of those things are untrue. This is a really crazy hard career field that we decided to jump into and making money is difficult, but not having any answers of how to alleviate that difficulty. It was just this blanket statement of this career field is hard. It's hard to make money full stop. And without having any sort of answers to those statements, all I could do was to cultivate this identity of the starving artist to go through school and realize, well, I guess it's going to always be difficult for me to make money. I guess I am always going to have debt. That's just who I am as a musician. And thus, that's who I am as a starving artist. And moving on through my career with this identity on my back, I think it really limited the way I looked at making money, the way I managed my money, and the way I thought about my future. It just put a limit on all of that for me. I didn't know if having a family, if getting married, if owning a house was ever going to be in my future because I had this idea that my income was always going to be small and I was always going to be bad with money because I'm a musician. Yeah, that resonates 100%. Full body nod. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I remember my parents being like really legitimately worried. Mm -hmm. Same. Yeah, about what I was going to be able to accomplish financially mm-hmm. and in my career. And it was like, oh, you better marry somebody who has a good career. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, just getting yourself out of that mindset, it's a, a totally limiting belief, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying that I have overcome that belief whatsoever. <laughs> I think it's really deeply ingrained in who we are as musicians. I think I've recognized it and I think I'm able to be like, oh, I think that's the starving artist in me talking right now. You know, (laughs) so self-aware. Yeah, that's great. But I think trying to become more self-aware and I think especially now in the time we're in as classical musicians, there are so many opportunities out there that aren't just the traditional paths anymore. There are so many ways for you to earn a living as a musician that this idea as a starving artist doesn't have to be as true as it was 10, 15 years ago. There's so many opportunities and paths you can dive into. And really, the financial opportunities are there. That's really fantastic. I'm thinking about that belief of just being bad with money. And that is the thing that stuck with me yesterday and reflecting on this was, yes, there's that component of I can't make enough. Although, especially when you factor in what everybody calls their security net of private teaching, that kind mm-hmm. of thing, you could theoretically like make a decent living that way. But I feel like 
my struggle has always been that management of money. It just feels like as long as I have enough to feed myself (laughs) and have a roof over my head, it's never been, I've never cultivated a relationship with it. And that part is something to learn. (laughs) I actually think a lot of people feel like that, feel very stressed about managing their own money. And I think as a musician, we have an extra layer of complication on it because sometimes our income can be highly irregular month Mm -hmm. to month. So yes, we're just like everybody else. We have the money struggles, but then we have that added difficulty on top of it because our money can come from different sources, can be different amounts from month to month that we have to try and figure out what to do with. Yeah, that's that's a good way of thinking about it, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're not alone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, <laughs> that you're not the only one who considers themselves bad at managing their money. Yeah. So you talk about basically diving in and doing your own research, and the resources you were finding just weren't working for you. What motivated you, first of all, to kind of like go down that road? <laughs> and um, what were you noticing about those books that just didn't really apply to us? How I like decided to do this (laughs) in the first place, my husband and I, we moved to Richmond, Virginia in the summer of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. Perfect time to start a new business or be a musician, (laughs) all that good stuff. We love this city so much and we wanted a support system. All my friends are here. My family is near. So we wanted to be back here and put roots down. And we had saved money for the move. I was planning on getting back to Richmond and really trying to start a private studio, just do the musician thing. And as the summer was ending and as we were entering into the fall, our money was running out. Of course, I wasn't getting any students, right? It was in the middle of the pandemic and and all of this stuff. And we had this moment, my husband and I, my husband is a ceramic artist. He's a potter. He's another artist. So artist. so we have like double artists in our family. It makes money great, you know, but, <laughs> yeah. but we're two artists and we both sort of looked at each other and it was this moment of like, I don't know if I can pay rent next month. Could you spot me? And he looked at me and he was like, I am just going to scrape by. Like we are at this really low point of not having enough money. And we were both really well connected in the restaurant industry in the city because we had met in Richmond many years prior and we were restaurant workers. And so we knew that we could get jobs in the restaurant industry. Me being a musician and having pride, I did not want to do that after I graduated and had a master's degree. And certainly not that there's anything wrong with doing that. I love the service industry. I love working in restaurants. But I think there is this stigma of having two degrees and having your job in music. For sure. sure. But I swallowed my pride and I got a job at this restaurant that my friend was working at very easily. And I realized that... I need to figure out this money situation because I am now, I think I was 27 at the time. I'm now starting to look at the next stage in my life, which is getting married, potentially having kids, owning a home. And right now I can't pay rent. So we got to figure something out, you know? And so I really started to read personal finance books and I gained a lot of information from that just about basic money management. But the issue that I had was when they started talking about contributing regularly to a retirement fund or, you know, when you get paid biweekly and you can just put a percentage over here to pay off debt. And it was like, well, 
my percentages are weird. I don't have stable income. So how how do I figure this out? And so from there, I was like, well, let me become a personal financial counselor so I can <laughs> learn about this. Um, and, and I did. And I realized that's an extreme way to go about learning about personal finance. I understand that. But that's what I did. And so here we are. <laughs> Well, it's lovely because actually you can serve as a translator for the rest of us. Right, right. <laughs> There's someone who can interpret all that information, put it through a filter yes. in a way that applies to freelance musicians. So yes, like you yes. mentioned before, we have a lot of very unstable, fluctuating income. Mm -hmm. So if a freelance musician is in this position where they're like, okay, well, I want to have a future. I want to have those things you mentioned. I want to be able to put money away for my future. And they're feeling overwhelmed. Where do they start to get a hold on this whole idea of finances? That's a great question. The first place that you should start if you're in that position is what I like to call is just knowing your numbers. And this is going to be one of the scariest things that you do, because when we're <laughs> in a position of really feeling financially unstable, the last thing we want to do is look at our bank account. A hundred percent. But that is going to have to be the first place that you look. You want to get a really good idea of how much money you have coming in each month and how much money you are spending each month. And the scarier number is going to be how much money you're spending because often I find that this is what I did, this is what my husband did, and when I talk to musicians, this is what they do, they mentally budget. And so they they kind of have a rough idea of how much money's in their bank account and then they're like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get drinks, but I have that gig on Sunday, that's gonna be some more money, so I'm gonna kind of do some rounding math in my head and that that does not work, unfortunately, because <laughs> we end up just missing payments, missing income. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to look at your bank account and you're going to look at all of those monthly expenses. You're going to write them down on a sheet of paper and you're going to look at your monthly income. You're going to write that down on a sheet of paper and you're going to figure out if at the end of the month you need more money or you have money left over. And you're gonna do that by taking your income and subtracting the expenses from that. You're just gonna do that basic calculation and that's gonna give you either a positive number or a negative number. If you have a negative number, you need more money at the end of the month. If you have a positive number, you have some additional money left over. That's gonna be the first thing that you do. Okay, can I ask you a quick question about that? Mm -hmm. So let's say it's summertime mm -hmm. and you don't have really very many gigs. Maybe you have yeah. a couple students who are taking some lessons here and there. Mm -hmm. That number is going to be negative, right? Yeah. You're going to need more money at the end of the month. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, most of us work very steadily in mm -hmm. like December, the holiday times. We're like crazy busy. So that number is going to be positive. Yeah. How do you like wrap your head around that? Do you do this on a month to month basis? Do you do it like on a half year basis? What yeah. do you that's another great question. So the importance of knowing your numbers is not necessarily for the income part because our income is so different, but it is for that monthly expenses for you to really get a good idea of how much you spend on, you know, all of your housing expenses. How much are you spending on fun expenses or things like that? I often find that musicians are not really irresponsible with their spending. It is just trying to manage the money, but it is a good idea to understand what your monthly expenses are because that number isn't really gonna change. Now, 
with the income differences between like the summer and the winter. This is when being a musician means when we manage our money, we're kind of in it for the long game. You need to start setting up plans and systems to be able to compensate yourself for those low income months. So when you get to a month that has a lot of income, the most important thing is that you don't immediately spend all of that money in that one month. You are going to continue to manage your money and spend it on the normal things that you spend on. And any additional money left over, you are either going to set it aside for those summer months that you can then pull from to make up that income difference, or you're gonna start incrementally spacing out that additional income that you've made each month and pay yourself a little bit more. Yeah. (laughs) It makes so much sense when you lay it out that way. (laughs) It's so simple and straightforward. (laughs) You know, but but we weren't taught that, you know? It's it's not something that, (laughs) that we learned. And this wasn't something in the personal finance books I read. It was me thinking about like, how are we going to try and create stability in our irregular income? And truly that is what I try to get all of the musicians I work with to do is to find stability. Even if they make all of their income in the last two months of the year, we have to find a way to spread that out over the next 10 months. Yeah, it's really knowing your expenses. That's so powerful that that's the important part of the equation. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And it is wild because you don't think about Starbucks and you don't think about I just did this thing yesterday where I was looking at the rest of my month leading up to when my credit card statement ends Mm -hmm. and I was looking at my calendar the schedule of gigs and thinking okay well that's going to be a night where I'm out and I'm probably going to eat out and that's Mm -hmm. a night where I'm probably going to eat out and adding that up in my head I have never done that really before which sounds so (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) admit my financial irresponsibility I'm owning it I'm owning it just like you said Anna Marie it's the scary part It is scary. Yeah. So in terms of spending, I think this is a really cool thing that you also discuss, the idea of intentional spending. Mm, Yeah. And I always think of spending as, for the most part, it's like need-based plus I love to travel and I love to eat out with people. Mm -hmm. So those are are like the things I generally do. But then I'll go through these phases of, oh, I just really want things, you know, whatever it is. So it really resonated with me, this idea of maybe adding some intention to your spending. I think intentional spending is so important. It is so hard to do, (laughs) but it is really important. And I discovered really trying to find some intention behind my spending when I looked at my money and I figured out how much I was spending at Target each month. (laughs) I used to go to Target as a way to like relax. You go in there, the lighting is nice. There's Starbucks, right? It's quiet. It's like, oh my gosh, all these people are my friends, you know? They're always happy to see you. They're always (laughs) happy to see you. You know, you walk down the aisles. And for me personally, they have those like $3 makeup things. It's like, it's $3. Let's just get five of them. (laughs) But I was spending a ridiculous amount of money at Target. And I was realizing that none of these things I was buying at Target was certainly making me happier. And I wasn't using half of this stuff. (laughs) I was merely buying it for the sake of feeling fulfilled of buying something and then 10 minutes later being nervous that 
I don't know how much money is in my bank account anymore. So sure there was a reward, but the reward lasted like five seconds. And then it was just this really horrible feeling that I had because I was continuing to spend money. And so what I found that really helped me is that I instead really go to Target. I do this ridiculous thing where I order the things that I need on the app when it's truly the things that I need, like face wash and stuff. And I have them bring it out to my car when I get to Target, which is, and it's ridiculous. I understand that it's very extra, but I don't go into the store now, right? And so I don't get tempted by all of these things. And I'm not gonna go on a splurge on the Target app. <laughs> That's not as fun. Not nearly as fun. No. That's not as fun, you know? So in doing this, I really thought about spending habits in general and what it means to spend money, why we spend money. And when we look at spending habits, so often when we buy something without really thinking about it, certainly we don't usually need it. Most of the time we don't even really want it in the long run. Maybe we'll use it for a few weeks for a month, but then we end up putting it someplace and we don't use it at all. I'm currently sitting in my office and I can look around at a few things that I've bought that are just now stuffed in a drawer. I don't need it. I didn't even want it. I just bought it to get that rewarding feeling of buying something. Trying to bring some intention into your spending means when you want to buy something. And I'm not talking about like splurging on a chocolate bar because I definitely do that pretty much every time I go grocery shopping because I go grocery shopping when I'm hungry, which you shouldn't do. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you want to go buy a new item and before you go to Amazon and purchase it or run to the store and purchase it, think about it for a while. A lot of personal finance people like to say like give it 24 hours, but regardless, think about it for a little while. And in the next day, in the next two days, if you still really want that thing, go buy it. That means you really, really want it. But if that urge has gone away, don't buy it. You don't need it then. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking so much truth. (laughs) That's a really complicated thing, though, because like we're in this consumer environment. We are being bombarded 24-7, especially this time of year. Okay, we're recording this around the holidays. And my inbox is so full of junk email from places I bought one thing from like six months ago. It's really hard to resist that urge. It's programmed into us how easy it is to buy things off Amazon. You could put it right in your cart and buy now and it'll be at your house in two days without this period of reflection that you're talking about. So I love this idea of trying to build in like a little fail safe where you ask yourself these really important questions about your intentions before you click buy. Yeah, we're all not immune to like the buying frenzy. I like to scroll TikTok (laughs) sometimes and it's the worst because you see all these people like the new hair clips and it's like, oh, do I do I need those hair clips? I think that is going to make my life better, you know? And like, truthfully, at some point, I literally did buy the hair clips and I love them, but like one of them broke. So (laughs) was it worth it? Mm, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is so funny. It's it is true. It's relentless in that way as well because I just perfect example of this on Saturday I was playing a gig and a friend of mine was like, "Do you know anyone who's bought these fleece line tights I keep seeing on Instagram?" Yes. And, and I was like, "What fleece line tights? I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen those." And she's like, "Oh, they look so comfortable, blah blah blah." 2 days later, what was in my Instagram feed? <laughs> 
fleece lined yeah. tights because we had a conversation about it. They can hear you. It is literally like they're, yeah. they're listening to every little piece of information that the algorithms can get. And then they're funneling this information to you, which has its own challenges in other facets of our lives. But to put it on a consumer level, oh my gosh, it is crazy how accessible everything is to us and those impulse purchases can happen with the snap of a finger and Mm -hmm. it's almost like we're in a type of culture right now where everything is so instant that it's harder but more necessary for us to be aware of these things and to take a pause and to take the pause requires more effort than it might have 20 years ago but it's more important which is, oh my gosh, what what kind of pressure that is. That's a lot. Yeah, I mean, and you're talking about things being instant, right? The use of credit and debit cards, you literally don't even see your bank account balance go down, right? You don't see that. Whereas if you think about using cash, which I don't use cash, who uses cash? But if you think about that, like when you have to physically take out dollars and give them away, you feel that you now literally have physically less of something. But with a swipe of a credit card or a debit card, there is no feeling of that. Mm -hmm. And online buying is so wacky too. It's such a new phenomenon. And I was listening to someone talk about consumerism and they were talking about how you used to go to a store, obviously, and pick out the item and hold it in your hands Mm -hmm. and decide if you wanted to buy it and then exchange your money and you take that item home. But now what we're doing is we're buying the idea Mm. of something without having held it in our hands first. And it just distances you even further from the experience and like, do I really want that thing? Because you're buying an idea. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. It doesn't become real until it arrives at your house. Yeah. Yeah. I've never thought about it like that. That is crazy. And we've we've all had that experience of we get an Amazon package and it's like, what did I order? What did I right? order? So like, did you even really need it? That's what it really comes down to. It happened to me the other week. I was like, what did I order? You know, what is this? <laughs> That's so refreshing to hear that you have the same pitfalls. Oh, yeah. Us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have never gotten over the addictive quality of walking through the mall and smelling mm. the smell that they pump through there to make you feel happy and all of that. It's the pretzels. I, I've yeah. never been like an item purchaser online. I'm very uncomfortable with it, actually. Like I was just telling Stephanie yesterday on Black Friday, I impulsively ordered twice as many clothes from a store online that I normally shop at because I knew I wouldn't like everything. And so I, I intentionally thought... Which is another point to this, right? Like, I'm buying much more than I intend to keep, and then Mm. it's coming to my house, and then I have to go through the waste the resources it takes to take (laughs) half of it back to return it, which is super crazy to think about. But I suffer from an addiction of experience, I think, Mm. than anything else. And that is also an unseen cost because you're not thinking about, you know, when you sit down to a restaurant, talk about Richmond and restaurants, Mm. best food scene, like, (laughs) I think I ever regularly attend. You're not thinking about the cause of any of that. You're just looking at the menu and go, this sounds amazing. And you don't think about how much two or three or however many glasses of wine cost when you're sitting there drinking with your friends in a bar. So it is really interesting to even just put it in the perspective of if I'm at a restaurant and I'm being intentional and thinking about how much did I want to spend and just being more aware of that is really fascinating. Mm -hmm. I'm right with you with the whole experience thing. Living in Richmond, my husband and I, we love to eat out. We love to go get cocktails, have a nice meal. We love that. And that is something that is very important to us. And so 
with money management, it is not about trying to cut back so much and save X amount. You know, it's not about not being able to enjoy the money you have. It's getting to a point where you're able to enjoy the money you have, doing this back end, hard end work with your finances to get to a point I know I have X amount of dollars that I can spend and spending it on the things you truly, truly want and love. That's the ultimate goal. Not about being stingy and saving all your money and not having fun. It's being able to support the fun that you do want to have ultimately. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of pivot into something else that's important to musicians or maybe should be important to musicians, but they didn't find no way to make it happen. <laughs> Retirement. Mm. Is that a possibility for freelance musicians? For example, we work for the union, Liz and I often, our gigs are union gigs <laughs> and our pension we fund. contribute to our pension fund. And then we get the statement back multiple times a year. And it's like, <laughs> there is no way I will be able to live on this amount of money. It'll pay for me to go out to dinner twice a month. I'll, I have, think. I'll have a couple glasses of wine a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what my pension's going to buy me. So, is it possible? And if yes, how does a musician go about planning for their future in that way? Right. Okay, so first off, if you are seeing that that number is so small each and every year, it's not it's not getting that much bigger. It's time to start looking at some alternate retirement options. And the two retirement options that most musicians are going to have access to is something called an IRA, an individual retirement account. Anybody who has earned income are eligible for these retirement plans. All right. Any freelance musician can open an IRA and start contributing to it. And what we do in order to save for retirement is the money gets invested. We shouldn't call it saving for retirement. We should call it investing for retirement because there is no way that you are ever going to save enough money to live off of when it's time to retire. You have to invest those funds. And part of doing that for freelancers is, again, understanding how much money you have coming in, how much money going out, creating those systems to be able to find some stability each month and budgeting in X amount of dollars to contribute to that retirement fund each and every month. Yeah, that's actually a really great way to reframe the perspective because we always say savings for retirement, but the concept really is that that interest builds and it compounds mm -hmm. on itself. And that's really how the account grows, which is why it's very easy to feel. And maybe this is another facet of this, at least from a perspective of somebody who's further along down the road. If hypothetically, someone hasn't been saving for retirement, and they're not 25, they're 45, mm -hmm. you're behind in a way, right? Because you don't have that luxury of time for the investment to compound. Are there strategies that people can take specifically if they haven't been doing that work? Because I, I would suspect many, many freelance musicians go well into middle age without having any kind of safety net. Right. Yeah. <laughs> At least right now, because the education isn't there. I would assume it's never too late, but are there pivots that you would say to strategize for somebody who's a little older and trying to do this? Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, and there are strategies. It comes down to, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it really comes down to knowing your numbers. And yeah. 
If you are a little bit older and haven't opened that retirement fund, it's going to be a little bit more of finding ways to cut some of those expenses. I'm not the type of person that it's like, cut everything, just live on the bare minimum. You know, you have to find ways to enjoy yourself and enjoy life, but trying to cut some of those expenses so you can increase the amount of money you contribute to your retirement fund each month is going to be a way to play a little bit of catch up. And if you are on the younger side, you just need earned income to open a retirement fund. There's no minimum amount that you have to contribute to it each month. If you just start contributing to it, and remembering to invest the funds. You can't just put it in there without investing the money. You then have to invest the money. That's the best thing you can do. You don't need to feel like you need to put in $1,000 a month or $500 a month. Just start putting some money into that account is going to be beneficial. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you talk about investing the money, so you put the money in the Roth IRA or whatever kind of IRA you have, Mm -hmm. What is this other step of investing the money? When you initially make that first transfer of funds into your Roth IRA, it's gonna sit in a little cash account, which is essentially just like a bank account. Nothing is happening to it. You then have to go in and you have to buy some investments. You have to buy either stocks or bonds or mutual funds or index funds to then invest that money. And once you've done that, your money is invested, it'll start accruing interest, it'll start growing. That's good to know that there's those two steps. There is two steps. Because on the first way, you're just putting it in like a savings account like you normally would at the bank. (laughs) But the second one is the key, is actually going in there and allocating those to different funds. Yes, yes. And even if it's just $5, right? Invest those $5. You want those $5 (laughs) to grow. Don't keep it in that first little step. You have to take that second step. That is actually really helpful. I noticed the other day you had a really great graphic on your Instagram, which for anyone who wants to follow you, I feel like the graphics you put on there are so helpful and really great (laughs) information. easy to understand. Uh Yes. Honestly, like Stephanie said, you are acting as a translator for Mm -hmm. the starving artist, (laughs) for this whole community of people who... I think about this a lot. It it has to do also with having a passion as your career. Mm. Money isn't the reason we do it. So it's easy to think, okay, this isn't important to me. Like all I need is enough to eat. But really, it is our careers. And that's another piece of it is there's the messaging of how on earth are you going to feed yourself. But there's also the reality that it's not the motivation to do what we do for a living. And I could do what I do for free if it meant I could live comfortably mm. and just keep making music for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter. I literally don't care about the paycheck. So reframing that and giving that information in a way that's digestible for that community of people is huge. And I really don't think that that resource exists, at least in a really accessible way. I wouldn't even know where to look except that we have you as a resource. So that's so <laughs> it's it's so fantastic that you made the choice to take this path. And this graphic you shared the other day was essentially a flowchart of Mm. what you do with your money and where it goes. And there's retirement in there, but there's other pieces too. I know exactly the flowchart that you're talking about. It's beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) What I do with my money is when I have any sort of self-employment money coming in. So for me, that's going to be teaching privately, gigging, and some freelance work that I do. That money goes into a business bank account that I have. I don't put it into my personal checking account yet. It goes into that business bank account. 
From that business bank account, I set aside money for taxes and I set aside or I pay my business expenses from that account. So like sheet music, if my flute needs maintenance, things like that will come out of that business bank account. After that, I pay myself a monthly salary from that business mm. bank account. And that is how I've created stability with my income ups and downs. I pay myself a monthly salary and that goes directly into my personal checking account. And from there, monthly expenses gets paid. We contribute to our Roth IRAs. My husband and I, it's a joint personal checking account. So all of that money goes into that. We contribute to our Roth IRAs, monthly expenses, savings, and things like that. That makes a lot of sense. So so let me back up one step further and talk about this idea of the business bank account and us as musicians, yeah, as small business owners, because... Yes, thank you. Guess what? Yeah, everybody, you are a small business owner. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you wanted to be one or not, it's, it's too late now. <laughs> You're a small business owner. <laughs> I have been and, saying this for decades, by the way. I, yeah. This has been like a huge thing, a huge, huge thing for me and something very important to us with feel centric too. I'm going to be talking about the musician that private teaches and does freelance work. Any income that is not W-2 income or that is not taxed. So often as musicians, we get paid a check and it is for the full amount. No taxes are taken out of that. Whereas if you work for a company, they take taxes out. That's not what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It's so important for first of all, tax purposes, second of all, clarity of just your finances to separate your self-employment income from your personal account. We want to separate those two things and make sure they don't commingle. And what this does is it's gonna give you a really great idea of how much money you're actually making as a musician. And it allows you to start paying your business expenses from that separate business account. This is gonna make tax season so much easier because you're not gonna go through your personal checking account trying to figure out if that Staples run was for personal stuff or for your business. It's just gonna make tax season a lot easier. And in terms of the IRS, it's going to make your self-employment income much more legitimate if it's separated. Anybody can open a separate business account, and I'm doing air quotes (laughs) because (laughs) My private studio, it's called Dia's Flute Studio. I'm not an LLC. I haven't gone through that process. The way I separated all of that additional self-employment income was I just opened an additional personal checking account at a separate bank. And that is all it needs to be. My brother-in-law is an accountant and he said that is all it needs to be. Now you should go speak to a small business accountant and hear it for your own words. I'm not an accountant. I'm not giving any sort of tax advice. But if you just separate into its own account, that's all it needs to be. If you are an LLC and you've gone through that process with your private studio, then you can open what's called a business bank account. But just a separate personal bank account is fine. And you're gonna have all of that self-employment income come into that account. And then what you're gonna do is you're gonna start tracking that income and seeing how much you're making each month from teaching, how much you're making each month from gigging. You're gonna start tracking those business expenses. So if you buy sheet music, when your instrument needs maintenance, if you have to pay an accompanist, 
anything like that. If you're taking private lessons, that's a business expense, right? You can start tracking those business expenses and that allows you to write it off on your taxes so you end up paying less taxes. And as you track it, you'll be able to see some income trends how much money you make in December, how much money your income dips in the summer, and you'll be able to start understanding how much you could pay yourself each month. This is a really like rough way I've, I've explained it. I it, It's a little <laughs> it's hard okay. to explain it like this, no, but, this is but great. That's, that's the general idea. This is a great, yeah, entry level, just a broad, mm-hmm. a broad overview. Yeah, and it makes total sense. We all have to do that separation in our taxes. But I think it's safe. <laughs> in a way, it's kind of genius because it takes the work out of I know I am not alone or we are not alone in the what happens to me is sometime around February or March, I start going back to the entire previous year and looking at my bank statement and my credit card statement and my calendar and the emails that I got about what I was gonna get paid for those gigs. Mm. And I figure out all of my income and expenses that way, which takes forever. Whereas if you just have everything that comes in or out for that business in a separate account, then it's already done for you. Pretty much, yeah. It feels like a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about not the W-2s that you get. Correct. From certain groups that you play with. Right. But Correct. the non-W-2. Anything that goes on a Schedule C, basically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we getting in the weeds here with tax, uh, tax lingo. <laughs> well, hopefully every freelancer knows what a Schedule C is. <laughs> we had to learn the hard way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or their partners do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, one question that I've been asked a lot is, how do I find an accountant that specializes in musicians? Now, like I said, my my husband and I, we are really fortunate because my husband's brother and sister-in-law are accountants. So so we have accountants in the family, which is really They want some more work. Yeah. (laughs) We have some leads for them. I know, I know. We have a small LLC that's looking for an accountant. They should just start their own business and be musician accountants, but I'll pitch (laughs) that idea to them later. Perfect. (laughs) So much supply. (laughs) But I ask them a lot of questions and I ask them this Thanksgiving, what do I tell musicians if they're looking for a musician that specializes with working with people like them? And they told me that... Musicians need to look for small business accountants because we are now in this era of time where a lot of people are gig workers, actually. Just musicians Mm -hmm. aren't the only gig working type of people. A lot of people are gig workers now. So small business accountants are going to be the type of accounting firm that you want to try and find to help you out with your taxes. All right. We're on it. (laughs) Okay. I'm writing furiously over here. <laughs> no, this is this is a really, really great. It is so good. So yeah, we also noticed on your website, you obviously offer services mm-hmm. and you have some courses. Do you want to talk about those and what you have available? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the main programs that I have is called Music Money Mastery. Sorry, I just renamed it. It was formerly called the Cash Crescendos program, but now it's called Music Money Mastery. And this is going to be a four-month program for any musician that is starting from ground zero. They have no idea what to do with money. 
nothing. And what we're gonna do over four months is get you to a point where you feel a lot more confident about your money. We're gonna create some business systems with that business bank account so you have stability when paying yourself. And we're just gonna educate you on broad financial topics. So I meet with you one-on-one four times for an hour session. Sometimes they go longer. And then also we have four group calls where you can get additional questions answered and things like that. In addition to that, there's the Musician's Money Mastery curriculum, which covers all sorts of topics like paying off debt, buying a house, budgeting, saving, just all sorts of different topics for you to gain additional knowledge and for you to ask questions with. That is my main course group coaching, one-on-one coaching service that I offer. The one thing that I really love about this program is that I set it up in a way to have a tiered payment. It's not a blanket amount fee. The fee is dependent upon how much you make And so I tried to make it as accessible as possible for everybody. That's awesome. I also offer one-on-one coaching. So if you want to sit down with me for an hour, we can chat. If you want to sit down with me twice a year and chat, we can see where you're at. But one of the best things that I offer is a 30-minute let's chat call, which is completely free. And so if you have some questions, you want some answers, you can sign up for this 30-minute chat. We can talk about it. More than likely at the end, I'll talk about working together a little bit afterwards, but it's a way for you to get some quick knowledge. Actually, before I came on this podcast, I was just chatting with somebody about investing for retirement. So it's a a good way for you to get some answers like that. So great. Yeah, we didn't even touch on debt, which is <laughs> its whole other beast. Um, that musicians... We're going to have to have you back to talk yeah, about that. I would love to totally. be back. Yeah. I mean, just the whole like student loan structure mm, and all that yeah. other stuff that... <laughs> It's so many, there's, there's so many facets to finance that mm-hmm. we just don't have education on as musicians. And yeah. it is still a really, I think, underserved space for our community. So it's just fantastic that we have somebody now who's doing this work and close by. And you may have at least one client for your class. Because <laughs> <laughs> we schedule a 30-minute call with Anne-Marie as soon as we hang up. <laughs> hang up. Disconnect. So we say click on the little end. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who hangs up anymore? This isn't a phone. (laughs) Honestly, this conversation, though, has made me feel inspired rather than overwhelmed, which I will admit is a new feeling for me when it comes to money. So thank you so much. This has been so great. I'm so glad, you know, with the musicians that I've worked with, like I said, the scariest part for them is looking at that bank account and writing down their numbers. And sometimes I make them go back a few months and write it down. But always when I get on that call with them right afterwards, they were like, I feel better. That's the first thing they tell me. And so it really is an action. And I experienced it like looking at my bank account for the first time when I was first getting into this. It was scary. It was terrifying. But then it was like, okay, I know where I am. I know where I stand that's just wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Of course. Yeah. Explaining it so easily. I think that a lot of people are going to find real value in okay. this conversation. So yeah, thanks so much. I'm and so you glad. can find Anna Marie. She's the financial flutist. We'll share it far and wide. Instagram is your account there is so great. It's quick, easy resources. But the website too and the blog are great. And yeah, 
maybe sign up for some courses. It's the perfect time since it is the new year and we can start fresh. Mm -hmm. Way to look at it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you both so much. Thank you so much for listening today. And thanks also to our season sponsors, ArcRest, Potter Violins, and Aria Lights. Another thanks to Alto Clef Gifts, where you can purchase viola-centric shirts and mugs and a variety of other fun items featuring our beloved Alto Clef. If you loved today's episode, consider writing us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want the chance to hang with us and have access to behind-the-scenes audio and video recordings, check out our new Patreon. The Viola-centric theme music was written and produced by J.P. Wogeman and is performed by Steph and myself. Thanks again for listening. Let's talk soon. 